Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I got a message for you today, and I've just called it, You've Already Got It. And we're going to start in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. Some translations say imagine. Think about it. He can do more than we can ask or think. Or, how many of you got good imaginations? He can do more. But here's the problem. Most of the time, what we do is that's the part of the verse we quote, but not the last part. And the last part says, according to the power that works in us. You know, we, we're kind of always trying to get God to do something. We're like, God, I'm nothing. God, I can do nothing. Oh, God, do something. And God's like, I already did. He said, you see, the Bible says in Romans, it says the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It's the same power. Now, what we're trying to do is to get God to do something. But the truth is God's already done everything. On the cross, Jesus is dying and he says, it is finished. Everything that needed to be done for your redemption was done. It's finished. Jesus ascended into heaven and he sat down. He didn't sit down because he was tired. He sat down because he was done. It was finished. There was nothing else that needed to be done. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he has obtained for us a complete, a full redemption. So 2 Peter says it like this. This is verse chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given... I was bad at English, but I do know has given is past tense, right? Not something God's going to do. This is something he has done. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, life is literally talking about your natural life. Godliness is talking about your spiritual life. He said God's already done it. The problem is we don't know it. And what you don't know is not going to help you. It says through the knowledge of him, we've got to find out what it is that happened in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in the redemption. We need to find it out. See, it's like this. God, everything you're ever going to need, everything I'm ever going to need, God's already supplied the need. But we're trying to get him to do something. We're saying, oh God, save Uncle Bill. Well, what do you want God to do? Send Jesus to the cross again. Everything needed for Uncle Bill to be saved is already done on God's part. But Uncle Bill needs to receive it. It's not just true about salvation. It's true about everything that pertains to life and to godliness. And we're waiting on God. But God already moved in Jesus. How many ever played checkers? My grandkids have me playing checkers. When they move, then it's my move. They can't move twice, I can't move twice. 
So God's already moved. Whose move is it? It's our move. So God looked ahead. When God created Adam and Eve, he didn't create them on the first day. Because if he would have created them on the first day, there would have been trouble. First of all, there was no dry land until the third day. So we'd have had to have been, you see Adam and Eve out there treading water, 48 hours waiting for God to create land. And then they go, oh, I'm hungry. And God goes, oh, I better make some trees, make some fruit, make some vegetables. And then they go, I got to breathe. God goes, oh, got to make hair. How many know everything that they needed, God had it already there. It was already there because God looked ahead. God was ready for them. Now, this, this, in fact, I think it's interesting. Even today, look at today. Ninety percent of all the bananas in the world fall on the ground and rot. Ninety percent of all of the coconuts fall on the ground and rot. God put abundant supply out there. There was an abundant supply. And there is in salvation, it's complete. And there is an abundant supply. As the apostle Paul prays in the book of Ephesians, uh, verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And by the way, I pray this prayer for you every single day, 365 days a year. I pray this prayer for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened or would be flooded with light to know that you may know what is the hope of his calling. In other words, he wants you to understand what's God's will for your life. Now, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And he wants you to know what is it that Jesus redeemed you from and what is it that belongs to you today because of what Jesus did? What is your inheritance as a saint? Now, most of us, when we think about prayer, we're like, God, do this. God, do that. God, take care of this. God, take care of that. Paul doesn't do any of that. He just says, God, open their eyes so they can see what they've already got. What has already been done for them. I believe that every one of us live way below our rights and privileges in Christ. You look back at the Old Testament. God said, I've given you the promised land. The spies go in and come back. Ten spies get up and say, oh, wow, place is amazing, just like God said. But there's giants, there's walled cities, there's seven nations. We can't go in. They're stronger than we are. The whole nation believed them, and not one of them went in, except the two who said, let us go in at once and take possession. Do you know every single person could have gone in and taken possession? but they didn't because they didn't believe what God said. I think it's interesting in Isaiah 53, it starts out and says, who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You know, God's arm, God's salvation is revealed to those that believe the report. But most of us don't even know what the report is. We don't even know what it is that Jesus purchased for us. Get the last part of the prayer. Listen, and so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. So he prays, not that God will show up with power. 
but that we'll realize what power is already in us. All right. And here, as demonstrated, here's the example. What kind of power is in you? It's the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. The Bible says that's the power that's at work in us. All right. And we're saying, oh, God, send some power. And he's like, you got it. God, do this. And he's like, I already did. Receive it. Receive it. I read a book this week and uh, there was a story in the book. The book was called uh, Acres of Diamonds. And I just want to read you a little bit of the story because I thought it illustrates this truth so, so well. By the river of Indus in what is today Iran, at that time Persia, they're named a man by the name of Eli Afed. Eli Afed owned a very large farm. He had orchards, green fields, gardens. He had money that he was lending out for interest. He was a wealthy and content man. He was content because he was wealthy, and he was wealthy because he was content. One day, there visited him an old priest. This priest said to him, if you had a diamond the size of your thumb, he said, you could purchase a country. And if you had a mind of diamonds, he said, you could place your children on thrones because of the great influence your wealth would give you. Ali has said, he heard about the diamonds. And he went to bed that night thinking, I'm a poor man. Not that he had lost anything, but he, he saw himself as poor because he was discontent. And he was discontent because he feared that he was poor. And he said, I want a diamond mine. And he laid awake thinking about it all night. He got up in the morning and he said to the priest, where can I find diamonds? And the the, the, the priest said, well, you just need to go and, and find them. But if, if you can find a valley with sand, with a river running through it, with mountains on each side, he said, there's always diamonds there. So Ali Yafet, he said, I'll go. He sold his farm, collected the money, left his family in charge under the charge of some neighbors. And he went away in search of diamonds. He began his search in the Valley of Moon with sand and a couple of mountains, found nothing. Later, he went to where today is Israel. And last of all, he went to Europe looking for diamonds. At last, he had spent all the money. He was now in rags and wretched and poor. He stood at a bay in Barcelona, Spain, and saw the waves coming in. He saw himself as poor, afflicted, suffering, and with no future. He dove into those waves and committed suicide. The man who purchased Ali Hafed's farm one day was taking his camel for a drink in the stream that ran through the farm. Probably the same camel that Ali Hafed had sold to him. As that camel put his nose in the water and was drinking, the new owner looked in the water and he saw a rainbow. He picked up a dark stone out of it put it up to the sun and he could see a rainbow come out. He thought, well, this is beautiful. He took it to his house. He put it on the mantle. A short time later, the priest comes by 
When the priest opens the door, the sunlight shone on the mantle, and he saw again a rainbow on the wall. He walked over and looked at the stone and said, this is a diamond. The new owner said, no, that's just a stone. They're all over down by the creek. They went down and found more, even larger than the original one that he had found. But with this story is historically, it is true. What they had discovered became the diamond mine of Gosiona, the most magnificent mine in the history of mankind. The crown jewels of England and of Russia all came from that mine. He was looking for something that he already had. He already had it, but he had thought he had to go and find it. And as Christians, what we do very often, we're looking for God to do something, but we've already got it. It's already been purchased. It's already yours in Christ. Again, Ephesians 1 and 19 says that that exceeding great power that's at work in us and for us. And it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Some of you are looking in a lot of places for peace, but the peace is only found in the Prince of Peace who lives on the inside of you. Some of you, you're looking, well, you got married and you thought, man, this is ideal. You know, after about six months, you said, this is an ordeal. And a few months later, you're looking for a new deal. But the truth is there are acres of diamonds in that person that you're with. I remember several years ago, Jeannie was talking with a lady who was about to divorce her husband. And Jeannie said to her, she says, you just don't realize what you've got. He said, you're going to divorce him and some lady's going to come along and she's going to see the potential and she's going to see the diamonds that are in that person. And she's going to grasp hold of it. And you're going to look back at what you had, but didn't realize that you had. There's many of us in our spouse. There's just acres of diamonds. But we're looking someplace else. If I just could have that person or this just happened in my life. And it's true about our gifts and our talents. We look at somebody else. We think, man, if I just had their, their gift, if I just had their talent, if I just had their opportunities. But the truth is, you've got gifts, you've got talents, and you've got opportunities, but you're not seeing what is right in front of you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. And we're going, God, help. You know, God, I can do no good. God, I have nothing. God, I can't do anything. God, do something. And he's going, I already put the same power that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of you. And we need to realize what we've already got instead of looking around and thinking that there's something out there that we don't have that's going to be better than what God has already placed on the inside of us. Jesus arose and in Matthew chapter 28, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go you, therefore, go you, therefore. What Jesus is saying, he said, that authority that I have, that Adam lost in the garden, I'm giving it back to you. He has given authority to the church. In fact, Mark 11, Jesus is, is teaching his disciples about faith. And he said this in verse 23. He said, whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever 
he saith. Jesus said, there's power in you. If you will speak to the mountain, the mountain will obey you. The mountain will obey you. According to Jesus, and let me know Jesus is right. It's not up to God whether the mountain moves. It's up to you. Jesus said that mountain will obey you. But we're like, God, I'm nothing. I can do nothing. I have nothing. God, God, do something, do something. And he's like, I already did it. Jesus arose from the dead, said it's finished because everything was done. He sat down because it's done. You have victory. You have peace. There's prosperity. There's provision. There's breakthrough. There's deliverance. Whatever we need, it's already done. We try to avoid the problems in the valleys. But the Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It says, I will not fear because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He said, God's going to see you through the valley. I, I was thinking this morning about King David. He was just a shepherd boy at the time, 14, 15 years old. Gets up in the morning, lives in Bethlehem, two miles from where Rabbi Shmuel lives. His dad gives him some pizza. It's just bread and cheese. Pizza, right? says, go bring this down to your brothers who are in the army. And he goes down to the valley of Elah. And when he's in the valley is when a giant shows up and says, send somebody to fight. And he, of course, goes down, fights the giant, kills the giant, and his destiny changed. Now, here's the interesting thing. Every Israelite had the same promise that David had. No one will be able to stand before you. One will chase a thousand, two will chase 10,000. But he is the only one who believed it and acted on it. You know, the valley is, I don't know what it is, but the grass often looks greener someplace else. But let me just tell you something. That's because it's on top of a septic system. <laughs> septic tank right there. You know, if you'll just cut and fertilize your own grass, your grass is good. Put some fertilizer down. Put some water down. You've got, green, you've got good grass. Where are you at? Now, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story that we refer to as the prodigal son. There is a man who has an older and younger son. His younger son comes up to him one day and says, Dad, I just wish you were dead. Would you just give me my inheritance so I can get out of here? Well, the Bible says that the father gave him his inheritance. And not many days later, he left and went to a far country. He spent all of his inheritance in riotous living. And when his inheritance was done, a famine came. And he ends up feeding pigs. Now, if you're an Orthodox Jewish boy, feeding pigs is about as low as you can get. And he's saying, I wish I could eat the food the pigs eat, but nobody will give me anything. He says he came to himself. And he says, even the hired servants at my father's house, they have more than enough. And here I am perishing of hunger. This is what I'll do. I will arise and I will go to my father and I'll say, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. And he arises. And the Bible says his father sees him when he's still a long way off. And by the way, the father represents God. And he gets up and he runs. Let me just say this. In that culture, in, in a man of his stature did not 
run. You sat and waited. You were to be honored. But he got up and he ran. He got to his son and he begins to hug him. And his son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. And the father says, kill the fatted calf. Bring a new coat. Put new shoes on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Because this, my son, was dead and now he is alive. Do you know that son had everything he was looking for before he ever left? And so often it's true with us. What we're really looking for, we already have. Think about Abraham and Lot. They're together. And the Bible says God is blessing to such a degree that the land can't even sustain both of them. And their herdsmen begin to quarrel. So Abraham says, Lot, just choose where you'd like to go. And Lot looks down at Las Vegas, Sodom and Gomorrah, sees the lights, says, wow, man, that's the place to be. And he chooses that beautiful valley with those cities in it. Abraham, in the meantime, goes to the desert. It's dry, tumbleweeds, cactus, rattlesnakes. Now, Lot went thinking that he made a great choice, but he didn't realize what he was looking for was where he already was. He was looking for the blessing of God. He was looking for God's blessing on his family. In the end, he loses his wife. He has a defiled relationship with his daughters, produces incestuous children who become the enemies to Israel to this day, to this day, and lost everything that he had. In the meantime, Abraham's in a desert. Looks like a worthless, God-forsaken, dry dust bowl. But you know what it takes to make a diamond? Heat and pressure. Heat and pressure. By the way, this is not real. If this was real, we'd pay the church off tomorrow. <laughs> but what does it take? What does it take to make a diamond? Heat and pressure. As he's there in that heat and pressure, God says to him, look up in the sky. You see the stars? So will you descend it to me. And then he says, take a look at that sand. And he picks up some sand. And he says, look at the grains of sand. He says, and so shall your descendants be. And by the way, that represents the two types of descendants Abraham has. The stars, the spiritual descendants. The sand, his natural descendants. Right? The apostle Paul is in prison. Uh, we had uh, Rick Renner here just a couple weeks ago. He talked about that. Not a good place at all. And from there, he's writing to the Philippians. And this is what he's writing. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And 15 times he's saying rejoice. Why? Because he realized what he had. The joy that he had did not depend on the outward circumstances because he had something on the inside, right? Now, so often we're like, well, I'll rejoice when? You know, when I get married, when I get promoted, when I get a breakthrough, when things settle down with the kids, when I get a bigger house, when I get a different car, when I get a better job, not realizing that you are in the middle of acres of diamonds right now. And right now, God wants to bless you. The power of God is in you right now. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Jesus performs his first miracle. 
in a city called Cana, Cana of Galilee. We go there when we, when we go to Israel. We go to this place, one of my favorite places. They, they're, they're, there's this wedding, and they run out of wine, which they're not supposed to do. And eventually they come to Jesus, and he says, fill those water pots with water, and then take it to the master of the wedding and have him test it. And when it gets to him, he tastes it, and the water has been turned to wine. And he says, this is not normal. He says, you have saved the best until now. You've saved the best until now. I want to tell you what I really believe, that every one of us that here, God has the best for you now. He's got the best victory for you now. He's got the breakthrough for you now, a change in your life now. God wants to restore your marriage now. Now, he has saved the best until now. The Bible says this about Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is. When is faith? Now. Faith is not yesterday. Faith is not tomorrow. Faith is now. That's why the Bible says today, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of breakthrough. Now is the day of peace. Now is the day of provision. Jesus shows up in Cana, in uh, Bethany, right outside Jerusalem, three miles. His friend, Lazarus, has died four days before. His sister comes up and says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she looks and thinks, well, just if, if Jesus had been, we can think the same thing. Man, if I had just been around in the days of Jesus, or if I could have just been around this revival, or if I could have been around that great person of God, if I could have then, Jesus said, but even now, she said, I know whatever you ask God, he'll do. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will arise in the resurrection at the last day. So she knows that in the past, Jesus could have done something. And she knows that in the future, God's going to do something. And that's how most Christians are. We, our Christian life is really, well, if I could have been alive with Jesus, great things. And someday, by and by, pie in the sky, one glad morning when I fly away, whoo, hallelujah, when this life is over, glory, someday. So, so we got pie in the past, we got pie in the future, but how many of you need pie now? See, and what, what the Bible teaches is not just pie then and pie in the future. You see, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Honestly, most of the time I've heard the verse quoted, they say Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. We forget all about today. But redemption does not begin when you die. Redemption begins the moment you receive Jesus. It's for now. It's not just for that day. We, we live, well, someday, someday I'll get saved. Someday I'll live for Jesus. Let me close with this. The Israelites have been serving the Egyptians for 400 years. God sends Moses to deliver the people. And God judges Egypt, but, but in a great way. The Bible actually says he judges the gods of Egypt. See, they worshiped the Nile, so the Nile was turned to blood. They worshiped the sun, so the sun was turned dark. They, they worshiped flies, so they had a plague of flies. They worshiped frogs, so there was a plague of frogs. 
When the plague of frogs hit, there were frogs everywhere. They're, they're everywhere. They're in your closet. They're in your bed. They're, they're in your kneading bowl. They're in your food. It's like you get up in the morning, you pour your Wheaties, and there's frogs. Well, Pharaoh's like, ah! He calls Moses. And he says, you know, I've been wrong. The Lord's righteous. The Lord's God. Please pray that the frogs will leave. And Moses said, all right. God is giving you in the honor to decide when the frogs will leave. And Pharaoh thinks a moment and he says, tomorrow. It is the dumbest verse in the Bible. He's like, I want to sleep with the frog one more night. I want frogs in my cereal one more time. How many know there's a lot of people that got frogs in their bed? And, and you see, but the day of salvation isn't tomorrow. The devil will always tell you someday. You're going to do that sometime, sometime. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Today is the day to be delivered. Today's the day to repent. Today's the day to receive your breakthrough. Today is the day to forgive that person that needs to be forgiven. Today is the day the Bible says, of salvation. So don't sit there and say, one day I'm going to get saved. One day I'm going to live for Jesus. One day I'm going to get a breakthrough. One day I'm going to forgive. One day I'm going to take time for my family. One day I'm going to see a breakthrough in my problems. One day I'm going to become a giver. One day I'm going to forgive those people. No, you need to trust God now because faith, now faith is. Faith isn't what happened yesterday, what's going to happen. Faith is now. Faith is now. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead, it's in you. It's in you. It's not that God needs to do something more, but we need to find out, like Paul prayed, what is it that Jesus purchased for us? What is our inheritance? What are the promises? The Bible calls them exceeding great and precious promises. What promise are you believing? That's why Paul prayed and said, we need to know what it is the inheritance that we have in Christ. And we need to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power that's already at work in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? And first of all, I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person that's, that's here this morning, that's online, that's, that's listening to this message. And I pray, Father, that they will see the acres of diamonds that are around them. What is the inheritance that Christ purchased for us? What are those exceeding great and precious promises? I pray, Father, by the Holy Spirit, that you would reveal those things to us, that we would know the exceeding greatness of your power at work. And I pray today, Father, for breakthroughs, for healings, for deliverance, for restoration in marriages and in families. I pray it in Jesus' name. Now, if you possibly can, wherever you are, would you take somebody's hand? Still every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me talk to you just a moment. See, you were, you were created by God. An eagle was created to fly in the sky fish created to swim in a sea, but you were created 
to be in relationship with God. You, you will never be fulfilled. There will never be peace. You will always be running, always looking until you're in right relationship with him. Now, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. What that means is this. You don't need to try to get right with God. All of your efforts, all of my efforts could never make us right with God. So Jesus said, you must be born again. He said, he's the only way. And to be born again means to give him all of your heart and all of your life. To say, God, my old life, I'm putting it aside. I'm, I'm burying it. And I'm receiving Jesus. He's my Lord, my King, and I'm going to live for him. And I'm receiving the forgiveness that he has for me. He said at that point, he has come. He's going to, that you might have life and have it abundantly. He has an abundant life for you. If you're here today, and you're away from God, you're not right with God, you don't know where you stand with God. You've been going your way. And you say, today, I want to surrender to Jesus. I'm going to receive him as my king, as my Lord. If you've got somebody's hand, when every head bowed, I want to pray this prayer. We're all going to pray, but this is especially for you if you're coming to God today. I want you to make these words your own. Just say this out loud. Oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. He is my king and my Lord. I receive the forgiveness that he paid for. And I thank you my past is gone. That I'm a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Now, as you're still holding that hand, if you prayed that prayer and you just came back to God, you got right with God, you surrendered. You said, today, I surrendered my life to Jesus. Why don't you squeeze that hand? One, two, three, squeeze it. Squeeze that hand. I prayed that prayer. I got right with God. I received forgiveness. I received Jesus as my Lord. Squeeze it. Now, if somebody squeeze your hand, when I say three, would you please lift it? One, two, three. Lift that hand up. Lift it up. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.